Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. It's Lenny Murphy here of the Green Book Podcast. Welcome. Glad that you're here. Glad that I'm here. And particularly glad that our guest is here. So today we are chatting with Noelle Lamb. Noelle is the former head of research operations at Robinhood. Noelle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks, Lenny. Glad to have you. Now, Noelle, your focus and experience is on research operations. Why don't you define research operations for our audience? Sure thing. Yeah. So research ops, in my experience, is a function that really operationalizes activities of research. So it might exist as a defined team, or you might even find it in groups of smaller researchers who are doing ops-related activities as part of their research process. But however it manifests, research ops is there to help team streamline processes and provide infrastructure and program support so that research teams can complete their initiatives. I'll also add here too, that it's not just about delivering solutions or programs or projects or infrastructure. I think research operations can really help to shape the culture of a research team so that it's a productive, but also fulfilling place for people to do research. Okay. And when we're talking about this, we're thinking primarily around the client side, right? There's uh more operationally focused kind of, you know, voice of the customer, internal order takers, internal research organizations, and then there's more of the consultative components, et cetera, et cetera. And thinking about the optimal model where research operations fits within a client-side organization. Yeah, so I've worked in teams where ops existed in the research org in a research and design ops org, and even most recently in a product strategy org that was really decoupled from research. And I think there are pros and cons to each scenario that are so specific to each organization. And I could probably spend all day talking about it, but I won't. But I think to answer your question specifically, like when research ops is closely tied to research and they are, wherever they exist in the organization, they're seen as a partner to research and they are part of research from an organizational perspective. I think that's where you start to see the most success because research ops, while they are a bit distinct from research, those groups still need to align to the research vision. And the best way that I've found for that to happen is to be really close to research. So whether that means reporting up into the same organizational structure or head of research or even just adjacent, as long as that partnership and that alignment is there, that's where you really start to see positive impact and great value of research off. Okay. So it seems like over the last few years, we've seen a trend of democratization of research a more decentralization of the research function where marketing has has a research capability the brand and product guys have their own research capability the obviously the cx folks have their own research capability 
when we think about this idea of research ops as a centralized asset um, or resource across them, how does that work effectively when there's something that looks a whole lot more like fragmentation occurring um, across what we would always consider to be research functions within many brand organizations? I think this is a really interesting question and one that is, oh, I think it's becoming more common for research leaders wherever they sit in the organization because it's a really difficult thing to navigate. There are parts of research that research ops supports. And if they're decentralized, then everybody's doing things differently. They're not in accordance. Some teams may be doing things that are not in accordance with like privacy and data governance laws. And yep. I think there's risk if you don't have a centralized place, and maybe that is your research ops team, where procedures and policies and best practices are generated and shared. For me, it's a risk game. And that's a question for leadership. How much risk are they are they willing to accept in the organization? We've heard recently in the news, there's been some congressional hearings with Facebook. And I don't know all the inner workings. I've never worked at that company. And I think it's full, full of people with good intentions. But unfortunately, this is a scenario of like how risky it can be for a company if you don't have the right levers and pulleys and procedures in place. And I think the power of a research operations team can be to help tie that thread between all those fragmented groups. So that's interesting. I would say that traditionally, the market research industry is, or even market research as a function, started as a, as a liability shield. It was to decrease risk inherently. And I would say that is still maybe not talked about as often, but it is still one of the core drivers of performing research is to decrease risk. So in this, in this scenario where, yeah, you've given a lot of cool tools to a lot of people who may not, it's like putting a gun in the hands of a child, right? They may not know that you're kind of dangerous to be able to do some of these things. And the examples of Facebook and others as well, that not practicing standards, but not being fully aware of what standards of legalities, et cetera, et cetera, that they, that they face through this evolution of the function, we don't want to limit speed of insights, obviously, right? I think COVID has proven that over the past two years, the research function grew overall. The research industry has grown, particularly here in the U.S., because of the need to get insights fast. We, we needed to know what was going on so quickly. And research as a function proved its value in doing that. We don't want to limit it, but, you know, we also, we better put some parameters around this to make sure that we don't get a little too crazy and start creating risk and creating liability versus limiting it, which is one of the core elements of the function. What do you think? Yeah. Absolutely. Research operations is invested in the success of a research function, but not in the day-to-day -day insights that research team and research leaders should be focusing on. But it's almost this unbiased little pocket of people who are really invested in success of research, but the success of the customers and non-customers that people are testing with and also the company. And so they play this really critical 
joint, for lack of a better word, where they're looking out for the best interests of the key players in research and the company. And I think that is a really important evolution and one that I think when you have a successful research ops team with the right support and the right research leadership or whoever's really advocating for research ops in your organization, they recognize that and they see that the value can even extend well beyond a research team. And I think that when you're talking about where research ops is going, that's a really important part to recognize. On the other side of our business, Gen2 Consulting, we have a lot of brands who come to us and say, look, we have been doing things the same way for you know, 20 years. We know there's better ways to do this and we need help in figuring out what those better ways are and who we should partner with and then suppliers that we're supporting and helping to do better stuff. But one of the, the issues we hear also from the brands is procurement is a limiting factor in our ability to experiment and onboard and the researchers themselves are so busy that they don't have the time to learn something new and therefore default to their existing suppliers simply because it's just easier to execute the project with them. So in that type of dynamic, I imagine research operations can play a critical role in bridging the gap or bridging the divide between consistency and best practices, but also innovation and exploring the, the new. Is that a good way to think about it? That there's that, that innovation role within research ops as well? I think so. I mean, really, when you have a research ops team, it is not something that is likely to help you overnight but it is something that will get you to where you wanna be even a year down the road, three years down the road. This very conversation came up on my last day at my past company. You know, the research leader is looking three months ahead. Well, you're looking two years ahead. It was a head scratcher for a moment. Like, huh, maybe I was not aligned to the research leader in the way the research need leader needed me to be. But I also, I took it as a great, compliment because that's what my role really was. I was looking and helping my team develop things that would advance the research team beyond their current capabilities. There are short wins and low-hanging fruit that a research ops team cannot ignore, but that's the goal really. And, and as a research ops leader myself, it becomes particularly important for me to think about how to map for the future. And I think that's where we're starting to see an increase in research operations leadership roles is because they're starting to realize that there's a lot more that we could be doing, but it takes time and it takes thought and it takes diligence and all of those things. It, you can't have a research leader or even research practitioners do it all. It's physically impossible to create really insightful insights and deliver those back to the organization at the same time that you're implementing a tool that will sometimes take a year between contract negotiations and security checkpoints and onboarding the tool and distributing licenses and all of the things associated with that. It can happen a lot faster if you have a dedicated team. 
I'm wondering when you hear the word operations, right? You think tactical, you know, that yep. is, but what you're describing to me is far more strategic. And I wonder if we actually even have a terminology issue here. We've just been discussing that it is fundamentally important that there be guardrails across the organization so we don't get in trouble while supporting innovation and, and creativity and being responsive to the needs of the business at the speed of business, whatever that may be. And part of the role of research operations is to fulfill that function. But to your point, as you brought up thinking two years out, that that is a strategic component. That is not a tactical and uh, an operational piece. So have you ever thought about, is there a different way to think about this to maybe get greater buy-in organizationally to say, look, we're not the, we're not the people that are just trying to keep you from doing cool stuff. We're the people trying to empower you to do cool stuff, but in a different way. Yeah. There's, there are challenges with each part of this, because what you're really talking about is an evolution and elevating research as a practice and how it gets done. And I think we're just now starting to see this and, and depending on where your organization is and their level of maturity, you may have one researcher who's doing it all, but in two years, you may have five to 10 researchers who are doing it all. And maybe that's a good time to start introducing research operations. And I, what I have seen is this very natural progression, which is probably not going to surprise anybody listening to this, where you start small, you build, you prove your value, you keep building, you keep proving your value, and you get to a point where you can start to think strategically. But you do, it, it is really critical to build a strong foundation first, which is these guardrails and these policies and procedures and programs that help amplify research and elevate research in your organization, but also do it compliantly. And it is, I think when we think about research ops and how it's growing, this is how we're seeing it grow with introduction of leadership and people who are dedicated to thinking about that. It is difficult. It's not impossible, but it is difficult to be really tactical and do your, do recruiting, you know, participant recruiting and all of those tactical pieces that also be strategic. It is difficult. And I think that's why we're starting to see companies who are now starting to introduce more leadership roles. I can certainly see this buyers would think this idea of compliance and keep it between the rails. Th this is, this is the supplier's problem, not us. That's where they depend on their suppliers to do for them. That the buyer, this, the client side comes says, here's our business issue. You go forth and answer it and just make sure that you don't get us in trouble in how that happens. So almost an outsource function of research operations. Is that, do you think that there's, that's still a significant trait or challenge that exists in client organizations to not pay attention to this the way they should, because they just don't think of it as their problem? I think in client organizations, those problems exist in similar ways. And there are scenarios where it makes sense to outsource research that is happening because maybe it's a little too prickly or a little too sensitive for a client organization to really dig into, right? For various reasons. Maybe the participants themselves, like you need to collect 
such incredible, sensitive information on them. And you really can't do it anonymously. And maybe that's a reason why they will need to outsource it to a company that can. But the burden of knowledge is still really great within a client organization, whether they're outsourcing it or not. I think you can't get away from it fully. And I know we're speaking really broadly here. Sure. But if as a research function, you're receiving data that has been processed and in, even inferred about individuals, even if it's anonymous, even if you're collecting details at a large scale, you still have a responsibility to those people who have provided you that data. And I think it is a little irresponsible to think about it being someone else's problem if you hold the key. Well, and certainly from a data privacy standpoint, look at GDPR, for instance, there's no, it, <laughs> everybody in the chain is responsible, equally responsible. So yeah, there's no, no free passes in liability from that perspective. And I think we'll see more and more of that evolve in, in the U.S. and other places just on that front alone. We certainly saw it in California and I think in New York, similar, similar legislation that says, Hey, if you touch the data at all in any way, shape or form, you have equal responsibility uh, in this. So that makes good sense. And it is really important to CCPA is coming up with an amendment here pretty soon in the next, I think it's dropping in 2023, but it has a look back for a year. And so if research teams aren't talking to their privacy or legal teams about what this means and what the impact is on research, even if it's received from a vendor, because those amendments will still impact the agreements that you have with your suppliers. So I think it's important to be aware and to do your due diligence all across the board. And this is what this, this gets pretty complicated and it is really helpful to have a team who has the, the history and the knowledge and the close partnerships with those internal partners. Right. So let's switch gears for a minute. How did you get into this specific uh, focus? Well, you know, tell us a little more about your background and your journey that made you get to this point of going, hey, it's really important to have this capability and this structure and driving the awareness of uh, why this function is important. Sure thing. So I've been in this space for a little over a decade now, and I learned about research when I was at T-Mobile. I worked in recruiting, so HR recruiting, and I helped to hire a VP of innovation. And basically that meant research and design. He recruited me to become his executive assistant. And I lasted about six months in that role before I realized, okay, I, I, I want a little bit of a different flavor for my work. And I moved into a project coordinator role and became really close to research and even conducted research myself. And I loved the space. I loved the space. I was really drawn to the customer stories and research itself, but it was very exhausting for me. And I realized that I couldn't be a good researcher. Like I, I loved the proximity to research and working with customers. And I, I fell in love with the process of research, but I also knew myself, I'm a very detailed list kind of person. And thankfully, 
the role sort of emerged where I was able to help support research in a project coordinating coordinator capacity. From there, I hopped over to a project management role at a small e-learning company out of Seattle. And after that, I was recruited to work at Salesforce, where I spent nine years in research operations and really was, it was an incredible experience. I love the company. I still love the company. But, you know, nine years in, in one tech company is a really long time. Yeah, it's unheard of. <laughs> it is. Um, but I stayed that long, one, because I have, and I still have great respect for the CEO, Mark Benioff, and the people who I worked with, I loved. I loved what the company was doing, and enterprise software is not an extremely sexy place, but I just, I found myself there, and I came in again as a coordinator, and by the time I left, I was a senior manager leading the research ops team. There was something really special in that, that I was able to see the life of research and research ops really evolve over a long period of time. And I wouldn't trade that experience for anything because I learned so much. I learned so, so much. And so that's really how I found myself in it. It was aligned for many years to the design organization. And by the time I left, research had moved into a product strategy team. And it didn't last long after that. I think I was only there for about six months after that, but I knew enough about my time there that I wanted to go and replicate it somewhere else and help provide what I learned to another organization. And I still feel that same way. I think the idea of moving on from research ops, especially now, like after it's gotten steam in the industry, I would not be fulfilled. Like this is it for me. I love research ops. I live and breathe it. I'm in it every day. And now for me, my goal is really to help nurture the careers of others in this industry. Okay. That is, uh, that's very cool. And, and I, I suspected like many of us, you just fell into this. I did too. Right. <laughs> There's very few people who go into research specifically. So let's talk about this idea of supporting people in the future and being mentors. Because obviously there is an immense amount of experience and knowledge and IP that, that we need to pass on. So if you think about either for yourself or organizationally and your next home, how do you build that model to take what's in your head and, and what's in, in your background and, and share that with others from a, from a, a, a knowledge sharing perspective, what does that mechanism look like? What does that process look like to, to get this out there and, and raise the profile and experience of everybody? There's no one way to go about it. I'd love to say I could write everything down into a playbook or a deck and share that, but that would be a memoir and a book instead of a, a, an artifact that someone could easily consume. The way that I've approached it really is through the company and what the company needs and helping to reflect that in my team and bringing on people who can help support the company and teaching them what I've learned along the way is, is really how I've approached it. And no two companies are the same. Every company looks a little different. There might, there's different flavors of research ops no matter where you go. When I first joined Robinhood, Participant recruitment, which is a cornerstone of a good research ops team, didn't exist. It wasn't something we were doing. 
And by the time I left, we had just started to scratch the surface on what that would look like to support research that way. And I think the way I've approached it, because I have a great experience coming from Salesforce and being able to build that out in a newer organization, I approached it a little carefully because it, it can be really complex in nature. And when it was time to hire for program management in this role, I actually hired somebody with a PhD in research. And she was probably one of the best hires of my career because she came with the knowledge of research and what it meant to do research without having her to do a bunch of shadowing or partnering with researchers to figure it out. Like she already came to us with that. But I was able to help give her guidance on maybe the approach could be like this, or maybe have you thought about this and was able to help guide her, but without being overly prescriptive about it. And that's something that I myself have learned in my own leadership journey is, is how to help people get there and grow but without telling them exactly what to do. And I think that's a really par important part of helping someone shape their career. All right, so that brings up an interesting question on what is the, we won't say ideal, but maybe the typical profile, personality traits, experience that is relevant and appropriate for a focus on research ops? I think it really depends on the makeup of the team, the size of the team, what kind of priorities this person or these people are going to be working on. I have worked in small teams that had generalists, you know, people who were doing a little bit of everything, recruitment, supplier relationships, training and development, team events, that sort of thing. We were doing it all. and. Then I've also worked for teams. I've also developed teams that shifted from that model to a more specialist role. And I think there's a time and a place where that makes sense. There's been this ratio that's been shared, one research ops practitioner to every five researchers. And that is one way you can approach supporting a research team. It's a great starting point, but it doesn't take into account the nuances of recruitment throughput, or even how difficult your participants are to get, or if there are horizontal programs that are taking priority over recruitment, there's a lot of nuance. And so there's no real one size fits all, but at a certain point, it can very well make sense to shift to a team of specialists. So these are people who might be your dedicated participant recruiters who are really embedded in the day-to-day -day research facilitation. And then I mentioned horizontal program managers. Those are the people who might have very specific duties that support the entire research function, like research technology or team care and development or even research visibility. And so it really, there is no one ideal, but there is an ideal for each organization that they'll have to sort out. Okay. Are there any critical resources that you think are uh, helpful for anybody that's focusing on this content, websites, green book, anything that you would say, Hey, you've got to, you've got to check this out. If you want to understand this and be successful in this role. Yes. There's a research ops community. I don't have a URL in front of me, but there is a um, community of research ops professionals that banded together and have created a really great resource. It's available. If you just Google research ops community, 
I'm a member of the Slack channel. Perfect. Uh, Great. So that's a good one. Yeah, there is this, for anybody in it already, there's a subset of people who are doing research ops full time. There's about 150 people. Kate Towsey is the moderator of that group. It includes research ops practitioners all around the world. And we meet once a month to discuss learnings or challenges or really hot topics specific to ops. They are my tribe of people. So they share jobs and ideas. They ask questions. How does this thing exist at your company? And so that's a really great resource. So if you are already in this and you are doing this 100% of your time, reach out to Kate Towsey to get involved in that group. Okay. What else? Any publications? Is there any thought of forming some type of sub-organization, maybe part of one of the trade orgs or something of that nature? Yeah, there's a podcast that Roy Opata Olende leads. He leads research at Zapier at the moment. His research ops podcast is on Spotify and perhaps other places, but that's how I listen to it. It's called Scaling Research. He has a really amazing perspective coming from life as a researcher, shifting into research ops and building that out. And now he's leading the entire research organization. So aside from that great perspective, he also has this really incredible radio voice that Green uh, Book listeners might want to hear. Okay. <laughs> better than mine? Oh, come on. We are better. <laughs> no, that's great. I wasn't aware of that. I am a member of that Slack group. And it is so incredibly active and prolific. I, I can't keep up. I, I joined it. I pop in there every once in a while. But boy, there's just so much happening, which is very cool. There is. Much activity. Yeah. And for those of you who like to read, he tells you is literally, she's writing a book about research ops. And I don't know what her publication date is, but it's coming soon. I know she's been heads down for quite a while, many months. So look forward to that. Okay. All right. Great. So I want to be cautious of, uh, of time. And there's a few more topics that I, I wanted to touch on. So now let's put on our prognosticators hats and think, you know, through all of the changes that are happening to, to the insights industry. And I would categorize those primarily driven by technology that creates efficiencies and the, the collection and dissemination of insights as well as the breadth, the, the types of insights that are available. And then a very long tail of dynamic changes to consumers, to culture, to buying habits, to behaviors across the board. Where do you see the role of research operations helping to shape and form how the insights function adapts to these changes? I think we'll see some really interesting roles emerge in the research ops space. I suspect that we'll continue to see the growth of leadership roles, but also the addition of new roles like digital librarians or insights experts. When I think about a high-functioning research team, researchers are responsible to their set of stakeholders. But aside from a research leader, not sure who else is really responsible for curating a collection of insights and telling a, an overall story. And I think, you know, 
with a nod to the platforms that are evolving day by day to help do this, sometimes it can be too much. And so you might need someone to help curate. And whether that's a digital librarian or maybe even an editor or even it could take the shape of an analyst, like I think that is a really interesting thing that we might expect to see in the future. So do you think that means as part of that, then the utilization of what we would currently call knowledge management platforms that are the central repository of research information and content, but also as a central repository of organizational knowledge and best practices? Is that, you think that's yeah, piece fair? I think that's fair. And I, I love repositories. I think they are great, but there is a duty that people have to make sure that it's not just a place, not a graveyard where insights go to die. And some of that is institutional knowledge, but it requires someone really thoughtful to pull together and breathe life into those insights over time and make sure that we're, you're not doing research on a thing that was researched two years ago and you're building upon the insights that you have. That doesn't happen through a tool itself. That takes, at least at this point in town, what's available in the market today I think that takes a little bit more thought and, and curation. Yeah, it's definitely not a dump. It's not like my hard drive. <laughs> so I know I got that file from 20 years ago somewhere in here. <laughs> yeah, it's also my picture reel, my albums on my iPhone. I'm like, where is that one picture? <laughs> Absolutely. The, uh, yeah, I think that almost librarian function is critical because we waste so much time and energy and money from a research perspective duplicating things that we've already done over and over again that's a chronic challenge yeah yeah either it will take the shape of somebody or the shape of somebody's like really good researchers will have to start using the tools at their disposal to make sure that you know the research they're doing is a bit more efficient. And that's a hard thing to do when you're staring down stakeholder deadlines. And yep. it's a hard thing to be mindful of, but I do think it's going to become a bit more critical of this revolution of digital that we're knees deep in. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, and uncovering more, more insights actually right before we got on was uh, chatting with a client who uh, a supplier and doing some work to understand what their strategy looks like. And one of the piece of feedback from their customers was, well, we want you to be more, uh, do more meta-analysis and be more consultative. And the, you know, and that's a challenge, not just for a supplier, but also internally for the organization, because it requires, well, we need access to the information, or we need these things in one place to be able to do that. And it is a labor-intensive process. But to your point, I think technology is certainly emerging where that'll make that easier and it hopefully become table stakes. So kind of last couple questions. What have you been reading or engaged in lately? Not even just about research operations, but anything. What's really cranking your gears lately from a content or, or thought leadership perspective? So I have two littles and they demand a lot of my free time. So I'm not prioritizing reading like I wish I could. Okay. But in the cracks of my day, I'm reading a book called uh, The Empath Survival Guide. 
It is giving me some really helpful tactics for prioritizing my needs and whole person health so that when I do start to feel overwhelmed or exhausted or, you know, just flat out drained, it doesn't progress to like a total manic burnout episode. So I'm just into it now. So far, it's been good. It's been really helpful. And I think it's an easy thing to do, especially for anybody in, in the same age is to make that time to be more reflective and sort out what you need to survive in in this wild world we live in. Yeah, I I used to do May time every day for meditation and and some function of prayer, some you know spiritual time. Got away from that for many, 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 many years. I'll tell you, around fall of 2020, suddenly that that became important again. I need time to get centered and balanced out, or else I'm going to go nuts with all of the demands of and chaos and et cetera. I have five kids, so I know what that is like across the board. I applaud you for finding that, making that a priority now, because yeah, it's important. It is important. Yeah. And I, I think the conversations have started opening up, right? With all this remote work is starting to take a, a front seat, whereas before it wasn't. And, and maybe you had commute time to decompress before heading into personal life after work. But now, woof. Man, you step out of the office and you're immediately bombarded with what's for dinner? Did you go to the bathroom? Okay, what time is bedtime? Like, you know, <laughs> daily demands are um, still there, but I think being kind to yourself is the best thing you can do. So what's uh, that? what have you found to be one of the most Im important things to do to be kind to yourself? I am a person where if I'm coming out of a day of meetings, you know, 14 different meetings some days, which is probably not too dissimilar to people who are listening on the phone, I have found that I really, really need the transit time. And even if it's just sitting in the room, a quiet room, maybe dark room, uh, for five minutes is really helpful so that I'm in the right headspace for people who I love. Because if I don't allow myself that time and that space to come down, I am not a very nice person and I'm irritable and not a person who I would want to be around. So it's really, really important to get that separation for me. And so it's something that I actively have, have pulled in to my life. And, and so far, people seem appreciative. Good advice. Good advice. The I have similarly, I've worked from home for almost 20 years, so that this has been something that was not new for me. We decided to homeschool this year, which was a whole other level of craziness. Yeah, I know. Our listeners are not seeing the look on Noelle's face. She's, she looks aghast. So, great <laughs> people. Well, that's one word for it. Insane is another. But, Noelle, this has been a, a delight. And I hope that you'll come back and uh, join us again. You've uh, also threw out some great suggestions for inadvertently of other folks that we may reach out to, to be guests. Is there anyone else that you would say, well, Lenny, you really need to ask so-and-so to come on and, and chat with that you think would be a, a great candidate? Roy, Kate, and another who I might recommend is Liza Meckler. So she leads up the research ops team at Airbnb. She's really fantastic. I think she'd have a lot of great things to share. Okay. All right. Duly noted. So what's next for you? So I'm going to go to acupuncture 
I'm going to go pick up the kids from, from school, from preschool. But you're talking about work. So I have a couple of glorious weeks off before I start my next adventure. I'm heading over to Zero. They are a New Zealand-based company. They do small business accounting software. And I'll be leading up their research ops team over there. Very cool. Very, very cool. And where can uh, our listeners reach you if you want them to? <laughs> Please. I love talking about research ops. You can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place. Noelle Lamb. That's great. Well, Noelle, thank you. This is great. Go do your acupuncture and, and enjoy the weekend with your kids. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our producers, Emily and Joseph. And we'll be back again with another edition of the podcast very soon. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transporting insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.